we're going to look at a couple passages tonight that will really help us to pray. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn first to Zechariah, Zechariah 4 and verse 6, right at the end of the Old Testament. And we're going to be here, and then in just a minute, uh, we're going to turn over to Acts 2, which is a very familiar text, but we're just going to kind of use that uh, as a basis for, for really one thought tonight. Um, and again, I think this will really, really help us to pray. But in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, I, you know me, I don't uh, like taking words out of, you know, verses out of context. I like to, to build the whole context, but forgive me tonight, I'm not going to do that uh, just because of time. I just want us to see the word of the Lord uh, to Zerubbabel, and then uh, we're going to look at how this is carried out by the church. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now turn over to Acts chapter 2. And we see this carried out and personified in the church. They were continually, verse 42, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Notice that that's ongoing. That's not a one-time shot. That's every day. They kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, notice going back to it, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, there's so much talk within churches about ministry philosophy and mission statements and what do we stand for, and that's that's good, but every church that loves Jesus Christ really should have the ministry philosophy and mission statement that we just read. I've said to people over the years, there's, there's nothing new under the sun in terms of what a church is supposed to do. A church is supposed to do what we just read, and we can massage that and give mission statements, and we're going to look at ours and kind of redefining that, but, but we can do that, but, but this is God's model. This is God's ideal. The church was never more right in all of recorded history. The church was never more right than it was here. By the time it spreads to Corinth and Colossae and uh, the churches in Galatia, it, it starts to get a mess. Uh, pride starts to kick in. People are talking about their gifts. They're doing things for their own purpose. There's disunity. There's arguments over the color of the carpet. There's, there's all kinds of mess because people are starting to think of themselves now. But when you notice in this text, which we've read many, many times, there, there is absolutely no sense of self. This is the prime example of what God wants from his church. And if the church doesn't look like this, or if it deviates outside of this in terms of its purpose, it is not doing what the Lord's called it to do. Now we have to say that because as we look at our own church, we have to come back to this and say, 
This is the framework, like this platform was built. It was framed out. Uh, it didn't have this top on earlier today. And, and, and it was just a series of frames set out, uh, measured very carefully. That was the establishment, so now I can stand on it. There's, there's um, uh, what's it, insulation underneath it, so when I walk on it, it's not loud. This was thought out. This wasn't just, let's get a couple boards, let's throw them together and see if it looks like a platform. There's a framework that has to be established, and the framework for the church, we just read it in these verses, is right here in Acts 2. Now you say, well, why was the church so powerful? Well, first we see that the disciples, look at the text, are in absolute dependent on the Holy Spirit. There, there is no sense of them. There is only a sense of the Holy Spirit being the one in charge. And that's increasingly rare, unfortunately, within Christianity, but it's something that we need to be actively seeking. That there's nothing about us. If you read our philosophy of worship on the website, that we, we make it very clear that someone who preaches, someone who does announcements, someone who leads worship, someone who plays an instrument, that people that are greeting and handing out a bulletins in the morning, that, that nothing is to be done to draw attention to yourself. And as soon as that happens, if we see that, you are off the platform, you're out of that position, because now it has become about self. That, that, it, that does not exist here. Second, they were continually, and I, I want you to notice the words that the Holy Spirit uses here, they were continually evidencing an extraordinary expression of the Spirit's power. Now, I use the word extraordinary because that's what it was. It was not ordinary. It was not explainable from a human standpoint. It was something God was doing because when the Spirit works, you can't say, well, it's because we did this and this and this and this and this and this and we had that strategy and that structure and that and that and that. No, when the Holy Spirit works and when he expresses his power, you can't explain it other than God did that. And that's what's so unique about what happens in Acts. And we have to ask ourselves, can we experience that now? Can we experience the same power in, in fresh ways personally and, and as a church? I'm not talking about weird self-promoting things like running around slapping people on the head to heal them or, or barking like a dog to evidence that you have the Holy Spirit or going into some kind of trance, all of which have been done by the church in the last 20 years all of which have been claimed to be, well, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't see that anywhere in Acts. Instead, the question is, can we speak? Can we live? Can we act? Can we witness? Can we stand with a unique power, seeing lives transformed through no ability of our own, no cleverness of our own, so that Jesus Christ gets all the glory? Now, it's the same Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit we see here in Acts 2 is the same one that you and I have. It's not any different. There, there's no word in Scripture that says, well, God, you know, he, he doesn't kind of work this way anymore. We know there are reasons why he might not work that way as much. But it's the same Spirit. It's the same Bible. It's the same Lord. And yet, what a stark contrast in ministry effectiveness between the early church and now. A.W. Tozer, I'm going to quote a lot of great pastors tonight. A.W. Tozer said at least 50 years ago, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of the world, most of what the church is doing would go right on and nobody would know the difference. 50 years ago. 
Tozer would look at today and just shake his head. So, let's look back at this. Why were they so bold and effective? No resources, no New Testament, no seminary, no Bible school, no Bible college, no building, no technology, no music, no money, no real support, no anything. All the things that we rely on, seek after, try to promote, they didn't have. They didn't have any personal confidence. Remember, 50, 60 days before, they were arguing of who was the greatest. They were denying and running from Christ. They were uh, in a panic, sitting in a dark room, not talking to anybody, hiding because they were so worried. Now you come here to Acts 2, and they're completely different. How do they go from sadness and worry and fear to, to now powerful and doing signs and wonders? And the question really is, is that specific to Acts, or can that happen today? They also had no fallback. They didn't have anything to go back to. They couldn't say, well, it's okay because Jesus is here because Jesus was gone. And he said, it's better that I'm gone because the Holy Spirit's now going to come. So, so from a pure, personal, practical standpoint, there's very little that they have going into Acts 1 that would argue for success. You wouldn't look at this group of people and go, wow, they are going to set the world on fire. The only explanation, the only explanation that can, that can come out of Acts 2 is that they were entirely dependent on the Holy Spirit to empower them. And because of that, it changed everything. So the early church was able to do far more with far less because they had more of the Spirit. They're unified, they're bold, they're confident, they're effective. People are saved by the thousands. There are baptisms, there's miracles, there's advancement into new areas, all with the undeniable presence of the Lord, all with the undeniable power and leading of the Holy Spirit. No matter where you put them, they were bold, they were confident, they knew exactly what to say, exactly what to do. They didn't need training, they didn't need anything other than we're just going to serve the Lord. And he equips them, he anoints them, he helps them, and he even constrains them. They have no plan no strategy, no preaching series, no conference. Rarely are they prepared. When Peter stands up in Acts 2 to preach, he hasn't studied for 12 hours or 20 hours. He hasn't taken apart the Hebrew in the Old Testament. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but get my point. He stands up and he says, men of Israel, hear this. Hear what's happening. See, see how this is explained. You know, Pastor Simbla of Brooklyn Tabernacle said once, throughout Acts, seldom does the preacher know in advance what he's going to have to speak. The occasion just comes, and he opens his mouth, and the Spirit gives utterance. What a contrast to the pre-programmed, tight, scheduled to the minute, know what we're going to preach and sing months in advance with no deviation world of Christianity in 2017. The Greeks relied on their knowledge. The Greeks relied on their intellect and their control. And that's kind of the new conditioning of the church and the new conditioning of believers that, that I think we have to fight. Now, it doesn't mean that stuff can't be helpful and effective. But, but and this is really not an argument for kind of unplanned recklessness. Don't get me wrong. It is a call to walk by the Spirit. And that's a challenge to our faith, to walk by faith and not by sight. Hudson Taylor, who was a 
missionary to Africa, unbelievable man. If you ever get to read a biography of Hudson Taylor, do it. But he said, unless there's an element of risk in your exploits for God, there's no need for faith. Now that either scares us, or as one person prayed, it kind of excites us. Because it's so foreign to us in the information age, with all that we have our disposal and our dependence on that, to, to say the disciples were at a, quote, disadvantage. And yet, I don't know about you, but I read Acts 2, 42 to 47, I say, I, I don't see any disadvantage there. They prayed, they sought the Lord, they depended on the Spirit, and I think they got to the place after three years of kind of failing the Lord over and over again. I think they got to the place where they said, it's better that we're deficient, and it's better that we have nothing, because then God can work. Now, how do we experience this power? Let's draw this uh, to a close as best as we can. Turn over to chapter 4 for a moment, or maybe you're still on that page. How do we get this power in our lives and in the church? I want to give you a couple ways tonight. Start in chapter 4, verse 13. Adam preached about this a while back. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Go over to verse 29. Now they're praying. They've been released. Now, Lord, take notice of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, there are two things I want to highlight as quickly as I can because I want to get back to prayer. One is that our need, our primary need as disciples and as a church is that we are controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look back at verse 13, which I hope is a familiar verse, it says they began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that they walked with him three years. They knew they were his, uh, he, they were his disciples. This says that these people, this, this esteemed group, this powerful group of high priests and Sadducees and, and priests and rulers and scribes that, that had hundreds of, thousands of years of training among them combined the, the intellect the understanding of the bible was was profound and yet here come these fishermen and tax collectors and they're stunned because they say something about you is different you've been with Jesus. What does that mean? That means they abided in his presence, not as disciples walking around Galilee every day, but as people whose hearts were completely given to the Spirit, who were dying to self daily, who were being filled with the Spirit to overflowing. So when you look at them, you say, wait a second, these guys have been with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want that to be said of my life. That Paul Rhodes, he's been with Jesus. I mean, it's just like annoying. He's, he's just constantly uh, just reflecting the presence of Christ. And that gives us a courage and a boldness and a power that just pours out of us. Courage so they couldn't even be argued with and boldness so when they got arrested and they said, don't talk about Jesus anymore, and they're like, yeah, right. We're going right back to the temple and we're going to talk about Jesus. And a power that was so significant that even the shadow, as they walk by, you can see my shadow on the floor, 
Even their shadow healed people. Now, I don't know if that happens today. I don't see evidence of it. But I'm not going to say God can't. Maybe we're just not as full of the Spirit as they were. When people see us, somebody prayed it earlier, I think it was Darcy, when people see this church, I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see this church has been with Jesus. This church has called on Jesus. This church praises Jesus. This church gives to Jesus. This church studies Jesus. This, this church is about the love of Christ in everything. So we have to ask, where do I have deficiency in courage and power and boldness? Because we need a breeze, not just, not just a soft breeze. Remember in, in, in May, we talked about a violent wind. We need a violent wind to roll through, not just a rearrangement of the furniture, but, but a renovation. As this church goes through a renovation, right? Changing flooring, changing the bathrooms, changing the nursery, knocking down some walls, Lord willing. As, as we paint and cover, I want us to come back to, let's make sure there's a spiritual renovation going on first because that's what brings revival. Sin kills revival. Lack of prayer kills revival. Pride, and not, not being concerned for others. But when we're so compulsively filled by the Holy Spirit, God begins to work in amazing ways. And that's what was said in Zechariah, where our ministry comes out of our lives, where people look at it and go, not by might, not by power. It's only by God's Spirit. Second and last thought, as disciples and as a church, we need to ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. About 100 years ago, a pastor named Samuel Chadwick. Oh, read Chadwick. If you've never read his, his book, you need to get it. Samuel Chadwick said this about churches. This is 100 years ago. There is an abundance of machinery, but what is lacking is power. Now, if that was true 100 years ago, how much more is it true now? Exponentially. So we have to constantly analyze, are we operating in our power or are we operating in God's power? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to fill our lives and bring abundance out of that in terms of our ministry? Or are we trying to do it on our own? Now that means, as we said in the first point, our hearts have to be surrendered to him and then we have to be seeking his leading. Because the disciples are weak, scared, intimidated, worried, ineffective before acts with Jesus. And then they begin to pray and they begin to seek the Lord and they're content in the promised power of the Holy Spirit. And that was when the Spirit came and transformed everything. Now, people are like, well, Holy Spirit's kind of weird and I don't know what this is kind of mystical. No, Jesus said, I'm sending my Spirit. This Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So there's no need to be scared to pray, Lord, we need an outpouring of your Spirit. Well, that's going to make us weird and wacky. No, it's not. It's going to give us more of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I need more of Christ. So if we pray, Lord, <laughs> oh, humble us. We need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We're saying, Christ, we need more of you. 
We need more of you in our lives. We need more of you in our hearts and minds. We need more of you in our youth. We need more of you in our ministry. We need more of you in our worship and in our prayer and our giving. We, we want to honor you in everything. In chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, it says, is strong and bold because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 1, it says that our witness and our ministry will be more effective if we do this because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. So the reliance is not on our own wisdom. I don't have any. The reliance is not on our own power because I don't have any of that either. Our reliance is on a fresh surrender and a fresh calling and a fresh power from the Holy Spirit. So when we pray in just a minute, that's what we're going to ask for. And I want to encourage us and exhort us to, to urgently ask the Lord, we need you to fill and empower our lives and our ministry. Not, not fanaticism. I mean a real outpouring, an unmistakable demonstration of the work of God. And the only way we will know this is happening is if people are getting saved. If people then are getting discipled. If the church now begins to call on the Lord like we never have before, that's when we'll know. What will hold us back? Complacency. Sin. Not calling on the Lord, thinking that we're doing okay. I don't know how many people have said to me over the last year, either people that have been here all seven years or people that are new. I talked to a new couple on Sunday who said, there's something the Lord's doing here at Harbor Rock. And I have to say, are we going to believe that that's actually going to happen? And are we going to ask the Lord to do it? How many of us will pray with a thought that Daniel Nash had? Daniel Nash was the one who would go in and pray before Finney would preach when thousands of people would get saved. Listen to what he said, and then we're going to pray. He said, I'm convinced it's the duty of every Christian to pray for as much of the Holy Spirit to come down on Pentecost. Uh, excuse me, for as much of the Holy Spirit as he came down on Pentecost and a great deal more. The disciples didn't know they knew the Holy Spirit was coming. They knew there would be power. But when it happened, they didn't go, this is weird. What do we do? I don't know. This is kind of, John, what do you think? I don't know. It's kind of strange. We're all talking in different tongues, and they're understanding the languages, and, and there's this fire above our heads, and now we're doing miracles. I mean, my, my word, we better sit down and analyze this. All you see is, oh, Lord. This is what we waited for. You can't stop us. Lord, fill us more. Lord, pour over us more. Lord, empower us more. Lord, embolden us more. Because we will not stop. Oh, if we get that fire, if we get that fire in our hearts, if we get that fire in this church, this city, will be transformed.